Holy Gospel comes to us today from the book of Mark. Mark chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and His Son, our Lord and Savior. Today, this Sunday in the church here, is called Baptism of Our Lord Sunday. So we must find ourselves asking, what then does any of this really mean? Because for us here at the church, there are, especially in our Lutheran tradition, there are two sacraments. And today we will participate in, in uh, Holy Communion, but we will talk about the, uh, the sacrament of Holy Baptism. It is the one sacrament, it is one of the only things that separates our faith our understanding of God and what God is doing and proclaiming and naming upon us that separates us from all the other religions throughout the rest of the world. And for us to take that uh, lightly, for us to not fully understand, oh, Leonard, are you telling me that I'm not loud enough? Oh, okay. I guess now I get louder. Okay, amen. For us to, uh, for, okay, so I'm not going to recap what I just said for the radio audience. Ready, audience, join us now in baptism. Amen? What is transpiring is the first tale, the first river. On the Jordan River, on that fateful day in which John the Baptist is there in, uh, in the water, knee-deep, he has been proclaiming that he is here to prepare us, to prepare the world for the Savior that is to come. And as we have known throughout Advent, Jesus shows up. And Jesus goes into the waters. He approaches his cousin, John the baptizer. He approaches him in the water and he says to John, he says, I need you to baptize me. And we have this hesitancy in Luke and Matthew's gospel. There's this hesitancy between John and Jesus because John says, I, you are not the one to be baptized. You do not need to be baptized. I am unworthy to baptize you. I'm not even worthy to bend down and untie your sandal. But Jesus looks at him and he says, you must. You must baptize me and you must do this for what is to come. 
And so there in the waters, John baptizes Jesus. And as we hear in our gospel, Jesus comes up out of the waters and the heavens are torn open, as Mark the writer, as Mark the witness writes to us. Now, over time, unfortunately, in the church, we kind of delineate this. We kind of tamper this imagery down a little bit. We think, ah, that's nice. Jesus comes up out of the waters. It must have been a partly cloudy, sunny day, and the sun comes out beaming. No, no, when Mark chooses the word schizo, say that with me, schizo, that means say it with me. There you go, schizo. Schizo in the Greek means to tear. Mark only uses that word twice throughout the entire gospel. The very first time is right here. Is Jesus is peering into the sky as he comes out of the waters. The heavens are schizoed open. They are torn open. There is another time in which that happens. The only other time is actually as he is dying, as his death takes place, and the temple curtain over there in Jerusalem is schizoed apart. It is torn apart. I'm going to pause on the meaning of any of that for the moment. I might even pause on it for the day. But those are the only two times Mark uses it, which means it's vitally important that we actually understand that what Mark is saying, what the witnesses have said that day, is something profound, something divine, something heavenly is taking place. The heavens are torn open, and immediately after that, we hear the words, this is my son, the beloved. And as those words, as God the Father declares to all who are hearing exactly who this is that has just come out of the water, at that same time we have a dove, we have the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove come down and literally rest upon Christ. Again, it's something that maybe just shows up in artwork in Sunday school and we think sounds nice. Imagine actually witnessing and being a part of this, seeing this encounter before your own eyes. The heavens are schizoed. This is my son, the beloved. It is him I am well pleased and the dove rests upon him. This is also the first encounter in the Gospels in which we see the full Holy Trinity on display. The Holy Trinity is a word, is a phrase that never is actually said, spoken specifically in Scripture, but the Holy Trinity has been understood and declared and proclaimed by the church founders ever since to help us fully understand who God is and both the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. It's in this baptism in which the Holy Trinity is fully in effect. God the Father declares who the Son is, declares his love of that Son, and the Spirit comes upon him. The proclamation comes from the Father to the Son to then be given and shared and commanded from there on out through the Spirit. You see, when God speaks, things happen. As Gene read for us in our Genesis text, in the very opening words of Genesis in the creation story, in the beginning, God spoke. God speaks light into the darkness. God speaks the waters into existence. 
When God speaks, things happen. When God speaks, life happens. When God speaks, things change. And when God sees this light in and amongst the darkness, a light that will not be overpowered, God says, this is good. Let's try that again. This is good. We got a lot of learning to do, folks. A lot of Bible studying. We got to come up with, we got to understand, it is good. When God speaks, we ought to listen. On the banks of the Jordan, God speaks. We ought to listen. The Spirit is now upon Jesus, and the Spirit next thrusts Jesus out into the wilderness. And it's in the wilderness. We won't uh, parse on that too much, as that is a sermon to come, but as Jesus is in the wilderness, it is there in which his true divinity is made known. It is there in which his true kingship and authority over the devil himself and all of creation will be made known. It's in the wilderness where God will be tempted, where God will be tested, but God will also always reign supreme. For us, though, this morning, we have the tale of another river. With some vulnerability, I I found in my stack of photos of the past, I found a couple of these photos. I give credit where credit is due. If any of you have ever loved the South Dakota Magazine, one of the leading photographers of that magazine for many years is a member of my home congregation. His name is Greg Latza. I was blessed with the gift of Greg being with us on this particular trip. And Greg was there. He always had a camera on hand, wrapped in a Ziploc bag on the river, just in case. And he was there to capture these moments. He was there, in essence, to capture the moment of a man named Jared, a young man named Jared, and his journey in the wilderness. Now, I know that this illustration has been a part of my sermons in the past, but today, for some reason, it resonated with me different, uh, this moment, when I came across this photo. If you see there, we are gathered around the bonfire. Each night on those, on those four days up at the Crow Wing River outside of Brainerd, Minnesota, every single night we'd gather around the fire. We'd sing. We'd enter into devotion. We'd read God's Word. We'd talk about it. And the two of us pastors, we would get to speak about it. We'd speak about God and what he was doing in our life. The very first time I ever met Jared was in the ICU at what was called Rapid City Regional Hospital at the time. I got a phone call from a very distressed mother. She said, Pastor Craig, I don't think you know us yet, but we've heard about you, and and we've been told that you would show up. Will you come down to the hospital? My son was in a a terrible car accident last night, and and would you come down and visit with him and say some prayers? And I said, absolutely, ma'am. And so I got in my car. I drove 25 minutes to Rapid City, and there I meet Jared Price. Jared Price is sitting there with, uh, with a little remote control in his hand, the, the morphine button, if any of you have ever been there. He's literally in pain, clicking it as fast as he can, hoping and just hoping that maybe the machine will let the next dose come. When your pelvis is broken in four places, both femur is broken, your leg's broken, and one of your vertebrae and your lower back broken, you're clicking that button, amen? And it was there that I got to learn his story. 
is a young man that was driving a little too fast on one of the back gravel roads there in the Black Hills and slid off the road, T-boned into a tree, and he was pinned between the center council and the door for over eight hours below, uh, below freezing temperatures. And he was now battling hypothermia. His girlfriend had to climb. She had to hike up to the top of the mountain just to get cell service to call 911. Long story short, he's now in the hospital. Long story short, uh, three, times, uh, three times a week for the next four months, I would go to visit Jared, watching him use a walker, a 16-year-old use a walker to learn to walk again. That summer, we had the chance to go to the Crowing River. He had never stepped foot in the church himself. His family was not a church-going family, but he was grateful that he had the opportunity of some of his peers coming to visit him. He had, the, he had the opportunity to get out of what was his normal, and he came with us on this canoeing trip, and when we were there, guess who my canoe partner was for four days? Jared. Do you know what happens when you canoe with your pastor? Apparently it's called confession. <laughs> You have nothing, to, no one to listen to because all the other canoes are behind us. We have no one to listen to. Mom and dad are gone. All of your normal peers, your, your, your colleagues are gone. And he's with a pastor and he was not shy to talk and he was talking and talking. And the first day it was very surface level. Over the next two days it got deeper and deeper and deeper and darker. He had an identity crisis. He had what he believed the world needed him to be. He had what he believed that he was supposed to be in his family. He was successful in sports. He was successful in school. His identity was now being uh, subverted by the numbingness of the pain that he was dealing with for different circumstances in his life. And he was numbing it with all the wrong ways. And that was becoming his identity. But each and every time that I saw that piece, that narrative of his identity pop up, I'd remind him, I said, Jared, no, no, that's not true, actually, Jared. That's not your identity. I think Christ actually has a different purpose for you, and Christ dearly loves you, and Christ wants to meet you. And on the last day of the trip, on our way uh, around the bend, almost to our camp, he finally looks at me and he says, Hey, Pastor... I said, yeah, Jared. He goes, you know that thing that I think you guys do in that church? I don't know what it's called. It's one of those churchy words, Pastor. And I'm just laughing. I smile. I said, what churchy word are you referring to, Jared? He goes, it's that thing that has to do with water. I said, oh, baptism. He goes, yeah, 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 yeah. I've heard of that. He said, a couple of my friends, they did that, you know, at their church a few months back. And I said, yeah. He goes, can we do that? And I said to Jared, I said, do you know what it is that you're asking? He goes, I think so. And I said, do you know that we're putting you to death? We're putting your old sinful ways to death. He goes, well, what does that mean? I said, you know, when Christ was baptized, when Christ, the one sinless being, was baptized, what happened to him is the sins of the world were beginning to be placed upon him. So that when you are baptized, you are united with him in that sin, and that sin is put to death, and out of that, you get to have new life. Your identity is solely and utterly in Christ, because Christ is now within you when you are baptized, and all of your identity of your sinful way is put to death and left under those waters for God to deal with. 
He goes, I sure need that, Pastor. And I said, I think we all do. And then I did what new pastors do best. I said, well, Jared, you know, I think this is a great idea. I think when we get home, we'll talk to your mom and dad. You know, well, I'm sure they'll want to find you some godparents, some sponsors. We'll pick a date on the calendar, and we'll do a baptism there at the church. And I love Jared because he's so bold, he's so honest. He goes, Pastor, all due respect, I hate to interrupt you, but we're on a river. I said, in fact, we are. He goes, there's a lot of water here, Pastor. And I said, yeah. And he goes, I think you said all you need is the water and the word, Pastor. And I said, that's true. And he said, so could we just get it done? There was an excitement and a passion, uh, passion in this desire of his identity to be, to be in Christ. And I said, in fact, let's, Jared, let's get it done. And so we pulled the boat up on the shore, and the other 12 canoes behind us, I pulled them all in, and they said, well, what are we doing? I said, this young man, Jared here, he wants to be baptized. And all of a sudden, a round of applause was coming up amongst the peers. On the picture there is Jared and me with long hair. Well, the wife wants the long hair back. The girls say no. So the daughters are winning out right now. I looked at Jared, and we dunked him under the water those three times. I held him down extra long. I, out, of, out of justice and vulnerability to Jared, I'm not going to tell you why, but you can imagine. I held him down extra long. He had to be cleansed and washed away. Amen? And he comes up and he's smiling. He goes, Pastor, are you trying to drown me? I said, I told you, we put you to death in baptism so that now you have new life. And he spits the water out of his mouth. He goes, new life it is. And every one of his peers surrounded him with the biggest hug that day. Jared and I are still good friends. He's changed his life in many ways. And it's not because he's doing it to live within the law and to perfect this thing called life. It's, no, it's because his life was changed because he's surrounded by good, faithful people. He is surrounded by God's word, and he was surrounded by the promise that we pastors are charged with to declare, to echo those words throughout all eternity, you are God's son, and you are beloved. When God speaks, those promises change things. And when God speaks, his promises can never be revoked. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let us gather at the river. Let us hear those words that you are sons. Rod, you are a son of God. Carolyn, you are a daughter of Christ. Woods, you are beloved children of God. That will not be revoked. That is the promise and the good news for each of us. It is the identity that we must cling to. Thanks be to God. Amen.